Good morning, Browncroft. It's good to be with you again. I am so excited. Uh, we had baptism this morning, uh, and the choir sang great. Um, I'm so excited. I, I, I might get a little Pentecostal today. <laughs> Don't tell Pastor Rob. The first thing I do want to do is acknowledge our veterans. If you are here and you are a veteran, please just, you just raise your hand, and the rest of us, let's stand up and give them a hand. thank you for your service. I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4, starting at verse 12. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee, leaving Nazareth. He went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulon and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, the land of Zebulon and Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is come, has come near. As Jesus was walking beside the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. I've entitled this message, Get Hooked. Get Hooked. Now, by a show of hands, how many of you all have ever been fishing? Ooh, that's a lot. How many of you all really, 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 really enjoy fishing? I mean, you would almost rather be fishing in, in here today. That's a lot, too. Well, I have to be honest with you. I can't stand fishing. <laughs> well, can't stand is a, is a bit strong. But let's just say I would prefer to do most anything else aside from fishing. <laughs> pulling weeds or fishing, I'm going to choose pulling weeds. Spre uh, spreading fertilizer with my hands or fishing, I'd probably choose spreading fertilizer. <laughs> The last time I went fishing, I was probably 10 years old, and uh, I'll be 48 next month. But some of my earliest memories of fishing is when me and my dad and my brother would get up and uh, we would go to Cousin John's house. We would get up about 3.45 in the morning and drive an hour to Cousin John's house. Once we got to Cousin John's house, there was another hour and a half to his secret spot. We all piled into his stinky station wagon, and we drove down to his secret spot. 
Now, the, the station wagon was stinky because he had all of his fishing gear in there. I mean, he kept his worms, he, he kept his bait, he kept his fishing rod, uh, he kept all his tackle boxes and all the things that he needed uh, for fishing. And it, it was foul to me, it just stunk. But he probably couldn't smell it because he was smoking his cool cigarettes. They weren't, the cigarettes themselves weren't cool, but that was just the name of the brand, K-O-O-L. I don't know if you remember those. I think he was the one that kept them in business. But to me, fishing was boring. Who wants to sit in a secret spot in folding chairs in the sand for a four and a five hour session? And with Cousin John, there was no talking. Everyone had to be quiet. It also wasn't fun because Cousin John would give us kids these little bamboo fishing rods. Now, if you had a bamboo fishing rod, you would know they don't necessarily come with a, a reel. So we had to cast the line and we'd just sit there and with this little dumb fishing rod. <laughs> and there was no excitement because you couldn't reel it in, you couldn't see the, the, the hook go out. It was just boring. And the only thing that was fun about it was putting the worms on the hook. And once a couple of the worms got away, he took the worms away from us. But for Cousin John, this seemed like the best time of his life. All he needed was his old style beer or his Pabst Blue Ribbon and a place where he can sit down in the sun and manage all four of the real fishing rods that he set out. As long as we didn't, he didn't give any help from us, he was fine. As long as we didn't ask him to help us bait the hook or to cast the line or to take the fish off the hook or to store the fish or to clean the fish, as long as we didn't ask him anything that had to do with fishing, he had a good time. But Cousin John was in his element. All he needed was the right place and the right time and the right bait. And I'm told by people who love the fish that these are really the only conditions that they need. The right place, the right time, and the right bait. Well, I believe that these are the conditions that were evident when Jesus began his public ministry and captured the attention of these first disciples. Jesus being in the right place at the right time began his ministry and hooked these guys who were good at fishing for fish. These disciples, Peter and Andrew, James and John, after being in the right place and at the right time, they were caught by the message and began to appreciate fishing of a different kind. They were hooked, as it were, and became fishers of men. Today, by the Holy Spirit's power, I want you to appreciate where you are and appreciate that this is the right place. Where you are right now is the right time. The time that you are living in is the right time, and the message of the gospel is the right bait. Today, I urge you to appreciate the place, appreciate the time, and appreciate the message. Our passage describes what Jesus does after John the Baptist, his cousin, is arrested. Jesus moves to the region of Galilee in the village of Capernaum, and he moves to Nazareth, moves from Nazareth to the place, from the place where he grew up to the place where he would begin 
his ministry. Now, the place known, was known as Galilee of the Gentiles, and it was an interesting place. It was interesting because the Jews who lived there was considered less traditional than Jews in the other places. The other folks who lived there, known as the Gentiles, were known to be influenced by other religions aside from Judaism. This place was also more cosmopolitan, and there were travelers who would come through Capernaum on their way to other parts of the world. Practically speaking, this would be a good place to tell the world that the Messiah that they had been looking for had come. This would be a great place to initiate a campaign that let the world know that salvation had come to everyone. This would also be a great place to gain the attention of these first disciples who weren't encumbered by the religious traditions of that day. Jesus himself would appreciate this place for a number of reasons. It wasn't just the physical location. It wasn't just the fact that this was a cosmopolitan space. It wasn't just the type of people, but it was all of the above. This was the place where no one would know him as Mary's baby. No one would know him as Joseph's, Joseph the carpenter's son. This was the place mentioned generations before by the prophet Isaiah, who said the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. And to those who were sitting in the land, a shadow of death upon them, light dawned. Jesus' arrival at this place was significant because it meant that the gospel, the good news of salvation, was for everyone. Browncroft and friends, as we sit in this remodeled sanctuary and recline on these spacious and stain-resistant seats. <laughs> I know they're stain-resistant, but I won't tell you how I know that. <laughs> I hope you can appreciate the place. As we sit here today, I hope you can appreciate the place. A lot of time and money and labor has gone into this room, the fellowship area, and the theater space. If you wanted better lighting, we have better lighting. If you wanted smoke with your worship, we have smoke with the worship. <laughs> if you wanted better grower-friendly coffee, we have better grower-friendly coffee. If you wanted a more functional space for church ministry, we has it. But it's not only the accommodations and the accoutrements that we should appreciate, but we should also appreciate the church's place in terms of its potential impact on the community that we serve. Browncroft sits at the crossroads of Penfield and Brighton and Rochester. Thousands of people a week drive down Browncroft and Atlantic Avenue. And we have the opportunity to be the place that shares the good news of the gospel to everyone who passes by. As people drive by this church, we are literally and spiritually the city on the hill that cannot be hid. But I also want to remind you that it's not just 
the church building. It's not just the seats. It's not just the lights or the theater or the programs or the personality. It is the presence of God in this place. It is the place where the Holy Spirit chooses to dwell. It's where he has the freedom to reach whoever, whenever, however. It is the place where lives are changed by the power of the good news, where we together worship the true and living God. This is the place where we all grow together. It is also the place where the Bible is allowed to be explored, proclaimed, and believed, not just by the followers of Jesus, but by those who want to know more about who Jesus is. This is the place that we should appreciate. So the question becomes, how do we appreciate this place? I think we can appreciate this place by encouraging as many as we can to experience the same joy that we have experienced. We tell others about how this place has been a place of healing, how this place has been a place for compassion and for spiritual growth. We tell them about the fellowship that we've had with one another, how we are excited to come to worship and be a part of a service together. We can appreciate this place by not just relying on the programs or the pastor or the paid staff to reach people, but everyone here can take an active role in participating in the city on a hill. I think we can appreciate this place, and this is a big one. We can appreciate this place by resisting the urge and the temptation to make God's church an exclusive club where people feel excluded. Now, I have been here a little more than four and a half years, and I can honestly say that I've always felt welcomed and appreciated. And as a person who sits next to someone who likes to yell hallelujah <laughs> and scream amen, this is important to me. As a follower of Christ, being able to invite people who look like me and who have had similar experiences as me is important. I want them to be able to experience the same compassion and the same love and the same warmth that I received. I want them to be able to experience Pastor Rob's wonderful messages. I want them to be able to experience the blessing of family ministry. And I want them to be able to enjoy that guilt-free coffee. <laughs> Being able to invite a person who has had similar struggles or different struggles that I know the Lord can do something about is important. So I said all of that to say that no church open in Jesus' name should be exclusive or have a quota for sinners, no matter what color they are, how loud they are, or how lost they are. Because the truth is that we are all sinners saved by God's grace. And his church is the place where all sinners can be blessed and grow. 
Yes, we appreciate the place by doing our part to welcome all people to the family of God. I believe we must also appreciate the time. What do I mean by that? I mean that we must appreciate where we are in terms of the sequence of events that began with God speaking the universe into existence and ends with our eternal destination. This might sound a little philosophical for some, so let me bring this a little closer to home. We must appreciate what is going on in our world and what this means in terms of how God's future plans for you and me get played out. We must consider the events in our lives that call for our response as children of God. For Jesus, the beginning of his ministry was triggered by the arrest of his cousin, John the Baptist. Up until this time, Jesus had chosen to confine himself to human powers. I need to say that again. Up to this point, Jesus had chosen to confine himself to human powers. But after John's arrest, Jesus takes the gloves off, as it were. And in accordance with his father's divine timetable, he begins to utilize the fullness of his power. Browncroft and friends, oh, that we would begin to see the triggers of our day, the incidents and the events which should suggest to us that it's time to stop confining ourselves to everyday human means. If only we would begin to see the events of our time as catalysts for God's ministry. If only we would see the level of poverty and despair in Rochester as a signal for more comprehensive and more godly ministry. It's true that Jesus said we will always have the poor with us. But Jesus says you won't always have me. The time is now, Browncroft. If only we would see the spread of the opioid addictions from our cities to our rural towns, to our neighbors, to our neighborhoods, as more than just an us versus them problem and more of a we problem. There might be more urgency for addressing this issue. If only we might see these mass shootings and hate crimes as more than just a debate on gun control and take a look at the spiritual condition of our society, we might reach people with the true message of hope and peace and redemption. If only we might see the increased level of anxiety and depression in our children and how more and more people are choosing to self-medicate in order to cope, we might understand that there is a bomb in Gilead. Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 22. Browncroft and friends, there is an ointment that heals and comforts and soothes and provides relief. 
There is a friend who provides, or a physician who provides diagnosis, and he's able to cure the ailments that we have in our society and cure us as individuals. Now, listen, I, I don't get to preach that often, but you might or may not realize that this is the third time that I've come up to preach after a mass shooting. We have to see the triggers in our lives and stop confining ourselves to human power. We have to take the gloves off, as it were, and exercise the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the fullness of God's power. It's time to stop confining ourselves to people power. Power based on human relationships, our networks, or political parties. Power based on human intellect or our own ingenuity. Power based on our own perceptions of wealth and wisdom. This is silly human stuff. That's silly human stuff. This is temporal and unsustainable. But let's take the gloves off and exercise the power of the Holy Spirit and the life-changing power of the Word of God. You know, I'm convinced that one of the reasons why there's so much fear and anxiety and confusion in our world is because we don't actually read this. We don't actually read it. So let me skip a few pages, a few chapters, and tell you the conclusion. At the end of this book, God wins. At the end of this book, God wins. This brings me to my third point. So we must appreciate the message. We must appreciate the place. We must, I'm sorry, we must appreciate the place, appreciate the time, and appreciate the message. In verse 17, uh, it says that from the time Jesus came to Capernaum, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I want to point out a couple of things here. The writer of this passage uses the word for preach. His word for preach is keruso, which means to proclaim, to promote, to publish, or to make publicly known. One commentator noted something that I really never realized before. To preach is not to argue, it's not to reason, it's not even to dispute or convince others by intellectual arguments. To preach is to simply state or testify to the truth of God's word. Jesus' message was a message of certainty. It was a message of authority and truth. The religious leaders of his day were astonished by his authority and appalled by his gall and his nerve. Who was he to speak like this? They did not realize that he was only speaking the same things that he had seen his father do. He was only speaking on his authority and the authority of the father who sent him to do this work. The religious leaders of the world at that time were appalled by the message and the nerve of this guy when he spoke. 
He spoke with such authority and such power and bold teaching. But what they could not understand about themselves was that they could no longer speak with authority because over time they had diluted the word of God so much with their own interpretations and traditions, they could no longer tell God's words from their own words. Now it was all a matter of interpretation and speculation and ideologies and not the truth of God's words. The credibility of God's words was lost in the confusion of man's words. But while the religious leaders were appalled and shocked by his message, other folks were moved by his veracity, his willingness to tell the truth regardless of the circumstance. Others were lifted by his hopefulness and enlightened by his honesty. He told them things about themselves that made them reflect on who they were and how they were living. They were literally healed by the things he told them to do. Some of it was strange and uncomfortable and way out of the ordinary, but it was always true and it was always life-changing. They noted the urgent challenge to repent because the kingdom of heaven was at hand. But they also noted the compassion which, which he spoke through his sermons and the personal conversations that he had with people. They weren't beat them up sermons. They were personal relationships that he had developed with individual people. Despite the noise of the day and the confusion of the commentators, their own personal struggles and cultural conditions, despite everything else that was going on in their world, the people were hooked by the message. Browncroft and friends, we need to be able to carry God's message and let the people get hooked by God's message. These people were persuaded by his hopefulness. They were challenged to accept his honesty. And finally, through hearing his word, they were convinced of his healing power and his compassion and love. They were hooked. It is my prayer that you get hooked, that you are persuaded by the authority and the veracity of his words, that you are lifted up by his hopefulness, and that you will literally be healed by the things that he tells you to do. If you're already hooked, I pray that you would note the urgency of his tone when he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is now our responsibility to stand on the authority of God's word and let people know that Jesus will return. But I believe that a message must be delivered. This message must be delivered with compassion and through personal conversations with those that we meet. Browncroft and friends, if you are hooked, if you are hooked, you need to go fishing, whether you like it or not. <laughs> this is the word of God. For all of us, let's... 
let's step back and go back to the authority of God's message. We don't need the interpretation from CNN or Fox News. We don't need to be afraid of the fake news or the real news. We have the good news. In the end, God wins. Let's get hooked on this. Appreciate the place, appreciate the time, and appreciate the message. Let's pray. Father, we just again, just so grateful to have you lead us and to show us who you are. Lord, as you began your ministry, help us to recognize that there are things that are going on in this world that you challenge us to be able to step up and to be responsive and to provide people with the hope that they need. I pray, Lord, that as we continue to seek you, as we continue to seek you and understand what it is that you would have for us to do, that you would allow us to use the fullness of your power, that you would enable us through the Holy Spirit to be able to share and to tell people about you and your compassion and your love and your healing. Lord, we know it's by your hand that we're able to be guided. And we thank you, Lord, for the blessings of this place. Lord, help us to respond to the time and help us to appreciate this message. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.